1: I'm also found at Kate Campbell Aus on Insta,
0: and I'm Owen Rask AU on Insta.
1: Just beware of the fake accounts. We'll never DM you about trading strategies or crypto. And if it sounds a bit weird, it's probably not us. And just
0: one final heads up before we get into the show: this podcast contains general financial information only. Kate, welcome to this episode of the Australian Finance Podcast.
1: It is a wonderful to be back, Owen, and we're doing a property Q and A for the first time this year.
0: I think this is a property Q&A on the finance book. This could be the first time ever, is it? I
1: don't know. We've done a few property episodes, but I'm not sure if we've done a specific property Q&A, so trying something new today.
0: Yeah, yeah. And joining us today remotely, we've got Chris Bates from Blask. How you going, mate? Awesome. Good to be here, Owen. Hi, Cades. Hey, Chris.
1: Great to have you back with us.
0: Mm-hmm. We, are, we are doing a bit of a Q&A. We're answering your questions. So, if you have sent in some questions um, via the, the link in your show notes, you'll see a big thing that says, ask a question. Uh, you can select the Australian Finance Podcast. But Chris, you may know who has appeared on this show before. He's also appeared on our Investors Podcast. And finally, Chris is a a host of the Australian Property Podcast, our newest show. So chances are you've heard his voice around. And you can basically, what that basically means is you can submit a question anywhere and there's a chance Chris may be able to answer it. So um, it's exciting stuff, mate. You're a mortgage broker, former financial advisor. So you've kind of got a toolkit that expands beyond just property itself. And you can think more holistically about things and that has enabled you to build the business that you've built which is amazing um, before we get to the questions i just do want to add a, a dis- disclosure and a disclaimer um so firstly the disclaimer if we do answer your questions the answers are strictly limited to general financial information only or even just factual information because we don't know your c- personal circumstances we simply cannot give you personalized financial advice that's why when you ask a question we ask for a funny name uh, just to add an extra layer of kind of this we do not know who you are so we're just going to keep it lighthearted and we're going to keep it general it's always important to speak to financial advisor or a tax agent for tax advice uh, before making a decision uh, because it could impact you in multiple ways and it's important to get that expert advice uh, all that said, Chris, we recently launched the Australian Property Podcast, um, which has been really well received so
2: far. So, how have you found it? I mean, I absolutely love just education and learning and knowledge and um, whether it's interviewing people or it's even just having conversations with Pete or Amy or yourself. Um, and yes, yeah, so I think it's amazing, right? We've had some really good feedback early on and it's just very early days. There's so much content that we still want to produce and um, yeah, it's very exciting and so glad to be part of the RAS community and the team, and um, mm. yeah, onwards yeah. from here.
0: Yeah, it's uh, it's been a real treat to work with you, Amy and Pete, obviously who I consider probably the most trustworthy people in our in the industry of property, to be honest. Um, and when we set out, I think you came up with the the, the kind of catchphrase of the property podcast is just trying to be the most trusted podcast. So we don't necessarily want to be the biggest. We don't necessarily want to be the flashiest. We just want to be the place where you can go and you can feel like you can trust the wisdom that's coming through. And we do actually have a question on this today. So Mm. we can dig into that in a minute, but maybe first just a bit of context on uh, why we launched the property podcast together, uh, why, appearing here today and why we just generally work together so for those that don't know the story of how we or i ended up in our first home it was a bit of a disaster i could see kate kind of smirking there um beginning of covid really wanted to uh get uh into the property market because at the time we were living in an apartment we could see COVID coming we'd saved up some money to go overseas and that didn't pan out obviously Uh, and through trials and tribulations, I made the, the, the mistakes. I started looking at properties before I had my financing sorted. I was a small business owner, so my financials were a mess. Um, I hadn't done all of like the checks and balances across like making sure my bank statements look good, making sure like all of these things. He hadn't uh, taken
1: our free property course. I hadn't, <laughs> I was, uh,
0: well, the thing is, so I helped create the property uh, property course, but I hadn't followed all of the exact steps. I. Began with the end in mind, which was the property, which I've since learned through listening to the property podcast that that is completely not where to start. Which is where everyone kind of starts. It's like the exciting thing. Um, and anyway, through a few instances, I ended up making an offer on a property without having secured financing, which obviously you can do subject to finance and all those types of things. But I was like very beginner stage, so I with making all the wrong choices. And it was very likely that we wouldn't have got a loan. Um, And I don't know what it was, Chris, but I kind of, I think maybe because we'd worked together in the past, I thought maybe it's important that Chris and I don't work together on my own personal finances and maybe we keep business and like personal life separate. But then as like a last ditch thing. I called you, I think it was a Friday night. You were outside with the kids (laughs) and you were like, when do I need to sort this out for you? And I said, seven days. <laughs> <laughs> and you were like, okay, uh, okay, and how much are you borrowing? <laughs> um, <laughs> and then we kind of went from there. Um, and like, obviously I got a glimpse into the mortgage broking industry and the, and the property industry generally coming from a very regulated background in the financial services sector and investing. Mm and i've got to admit the difference that it, the difference between like someone who takes into account everything who knows what they're doing on the property side is like chalk and cheese like you have so many exams and regulations on the financial planning side that the distance between the best and the worst is getting narrower but on mm-hmm. the property side i found this is just my opinion that the best and the worst it's in, like it can be worlds apart and Fortunately, like since then, like two weeks ago, you got awarded the number one broker in New South Wales. Um, I think you were voted number four in Australia. Was it? Is that right? For? Fifth. I'll take fourth, yeah. but it was fifth. fifth. <laughs> and, and so all of this happened. And obviously I ended up in the property. We ended up in the property, which is fantastic. We love it. We've invested heaps of money back into the property um, to make it what we wanted. And... I I owe that all to you, mate. So um, when the the conversation originally came up last year about us potentially doing something together, because I realized in the community uh, and Kate went through her property buying journey as well, that a lot of our community were in that bracket Mm -hmm. where they needed expert advice. And we couldn't as like finance people on the investing side and personal finance side, We couldn't give the advice and we definitely couldn't do it at scale. And then I think before Christmas, you and I caught up and you said, well, basically my whole goal for next year is just working with partners and building the business to work with more and more people. And it was kind of like the stars aligned and we decided to to work together. And I'm I'm very humbled now and grateful to be able to say that we're going to be able to help more people, I hope, get into the properties that they want or continue their investing journey um through our partnership and through working together in that way so you know we've we've done the course together in the past people can do that it's free you can go on and do the first home buyer course um and now hopefully more of our community can can go to your business which is blask and make use of your services and um, get support in hopefully you know, securing finance and all that type of stuff. That's just my perspective, it's a long-winded rant, but I wanted to add the context of why we've decided to kind of work together mm. on this really important thing, which is helping people get into their first home, their next home, or starting the property investing.
2: Yeah, I mean, your story's not um, unique, Owen, in terms of clients coming to us after they've <laughs> potentially fallen in love with a property or they've actually gone and bought it. Um, and absolutely i think it's a, a much better idea as you know now to to get um some advice early on in the process and um i stopped working with you know older clients if you want to call it that you know 50 60 70 80 year olds back in 2012 so we're talking like 11 years ago mm-hmm. um, and i started working with young people you know first home buyers, you know 30s 40s 20s singles um and i, I just fell in love with the conversations and the biggest conversations which you sort of rightly pointed out um, and they're thinking about is property. I mean, yes, there's other things they're thinking about, but a lot of that, uh, you know, saving or investing is helping to save for a first home deposit. Maybe when they've got a more, you know, their first home, maybe they're thinking about doing a rental or paying down the debt, or maybe they're thinking about doing an upgrade. And so I've just fallen absolutely in love with helping young people solve that problem. Um, And, you know, fortunately now it's not just me sort of running my own business. It's a a whole little tribe and a, a great little team. And while you said... That was down to me, Owen. I would actually say that's down to our team. So that conversation, it was like 5.45 on a Friday night. I was upstairs in the bathroom. I remember it, um, <laughs> you know, with the kids getting ready for bath. I thought, I better help Owen here. Um, and it was down to sort of the, the power of my knowledge in my team, really my business partner, mm. Ben, um, and then the ability to to lodge that loan in the right way to get it approved. And that's what great brokers do after a few years in they start to stop doing a mud on the wall strategy which uh, you know it's where i'll just submit it and try my luck and if it doesn't work well i'll just go somewhere else um you know the great brokers know exactly what's going to get approved and what's you know Mm. what your situation is and exactly how banks will look at it and um you know fortunately you know years of experience helped us sort of build that knowledge so yeah we're super Mm. excited um to work with you and help the ras community obviously we did the property course to, to help and um But yeah, on an individual one-to-one basis, you you, you sort of disclaimer at the start, like I'd sort of add additional layer to that. It's really impossible to get personal advice through content because talking to clients every day, there's something through their situation that, you know, will lead you down this little path versus this path. And those two paths will end in completely different directions, whether it's the property they're buying or whether they're waiting or buying or should they save more, et cetera. Everyone's situation generally is unique, you know. It's We never assume something as, a, you know, some, because those we have to ask those additional questions that, you know, will, will tailor the, your advice. And that's what a great financial advisor would do or tax or broker or someone in the property space. And so, um, and that's what we love doing. We, we love asking those questions and getting that information because, you know, that helps our, our brain get excited and say, okay, well, actually, no, maybe not do that or maybe do this or have you thought about this? Um, mm. And that's what you know. Great advisors do—they play in that curious space, you know, not just assuming that you're going to fall into some cookie cutter sort of um, cottage factory advice. Which is, when you sit around the property industry, that's what a lot of it is. To be honest, there's a—you you go into a property business, and they'll push you down a development route to sell an off-the-plan apartment or a greenfield housing estate where there's huge, huge commissions, or it's a new townhouse, or you go to a buyer's agent that. Maybe they don't buy new, but they buy, you know, really cheap, um, established properties in rural locations and outer rings that are really easy for them to buy. And they can, they um, sound really affordable for you. So you, easy for you to make decisions to buy them, but they're not great assets. And so, yeah, the, the property market's completely unregulated. You do need to be really careful mm-hmm. who you go and get your advice from. Not just from a broking point of view, you know, that's part of it, but it's really, do you go and do it yourself? Do you trust agents? Do you, Who do you engage from a, buyer's, a property buyer's point of view? So, um, yeah, mm. another long-winded answer to answer <laughs> your long-winded start. Yeah. <laughs> but Chris,
1: uh, Chris just um, on the topic of talking to experts, I would say Owen kind of left it to the last minute, but that's kind of classic Owen. But how, <laughs> how far in advance do you like having these conversations with people? Like if someone's thinking about buying a property at the end of this year or next year, Uh, Are you happy to chat to them this far out?
2: Yeah, because I think um, while bank policy changes a little bit, like there's some real fundamentals um, that you probably want to know, like what your borrowing capacity is, how income increases will increase or reduce your borrowing capacity. Um, You know, there's changes with banks that actually change how much you could borrow as well, like. 2023 versus 2022 is huge the gap um the difference so yeah and how much deposit do you need right a lot of people believe it's 25 percent right you know maybe it's not that much how close am i what options have i got with guarantor loans so i think it's just just educating yourself and just seeing in your situation what's the likely best route what's the number you need to save for you know how would that number change if you've got pay rises or partners are working or etc. So, yeah. And I think it's also just thinking, well, what's the type of property you're aiming for? What's the right first move? And you can even then just start getting some reference points in your mind where you start going, you know, you might be driving past that area and you're, you think, oh, it's a little open home. Might as well pop in or it's an auction. I think they're great learnings, you know. Um, and you know, because what happens is when you get to that point, I'm ready. Um, unfortunately, a lot of people are doers, right? And they just want to tick something off and they really want to rush that purchase timeframe. Um, and that's really the, the complete wrong decision. it's really, that's the danger point. So you've got your finance approved, you're ready to go, you're all excited, all your family and your friends and your colleagues at work are all sort of, you know, pushing you down this route. And then all of a sudden you just try to buy the first property or you just, you know, try to tick that box. I've got a property, um, but that's the time when you really need to slow down and take your time and really understand the, the market, because that's the thing that matters ultimately. That's the thing you buy, that's the thing you sell. And you know, there's ten or eleven million properties in Australia, and they all do go up and down at different rates. Um, and it's you're buying one of those, and so you really mm. got to know what you're doing.
0: Yeah, Chris, I, I see, uh, like I see a lot of people in property kind of underestimate how important it is to get good advice, but we just don't know where to go, and it's so emotional. Like, if we think about like, what do we talk about on the finance podcast? It's like people investing to $5,000, $500 in shares or ETFs. But at the end of the day, if you're going to buy a house worth $500,000 or a million dollars, I've heard of some people buying more, you know, paying more for a first home in Sydney, for example. Um, and you get that wrong. Like that is a significantly different conversation to, spending $5,000 on the wrong ETF or buying the wrong share or investing a little bit of money in cryptocurrency and it goes to zero. Like this is on the property podcast, the Australian property podcast, we always talk about how the first home is so very important. And I, I know you deal with not just first home buyers and all that, but how important that is. Now, I knew from my finance background and speaking with you and all this, I knew what Quote unquote," a quality property is and how it would fit my needs. But so many people don't know that. It's incredible. And it, the difference is truly like you could measure the, the financial difference in years, hundreds of thousands of dollars if you want to, however you want to frame that. And getting the right advice early is so important. Can you just explain, because we've had Amy Lenardi, mortgage broker, uh, sorry, uh, buyer's agents on the show before. Can you just explain maybe what typically happens with a broker and how you do it differently at Blusk in terms of like Mm. the advice that people will get? um, Because I think that's kind of the key insight and why you've been able to be so highly regarded in the industry.
2: Yeah, so look, I'm massive a fan of the broking industry, right? The, The broking industry is amazing for consumers, right? So putting it out there, the reason banks are offering such great rates, their net interest margins reducing year on year, Is because the broker industry has been growing year on year and about 70 percent of loans go through brokers now that was zero at one point it was 20 it was probably about 40 or 50 percent when i started about eight nine years ago so it's and the reason for that is the good news stories people have great experience with brokers and they keep going back and they send their friends and family there and so the broker industry is a massive success story um and so i want to put it out there that that you know they are a great um, option. It's just that, you know, when you go to brokers, they're all doing different, you know, levels of service offerings, right? What break, like a ticket to the game in broking is just getting your loan approved and getting you a great product out of the whole marketplace, right? So you're not tailored to just going through, you know, one of the big four banks or some one online lender, et cetera. Um, so they're A, getting your loan approved, which is a, that is actually a really big point. Not all loans <laughs> get approved, right? And then it can damage your credit file. they are b selecting the right bank for you as a person because of your situation, what you do for work or your, whether you get a bonus or how much your deposit is, et cetera. Um, and then they're getting structuring your loan the right way, whether it's interest only or investment or fixed or variable, et cetera. Uh, and then obviously getting your great rate. That's what most brokers would do. They see themselves as providing you that, um, delivering that transaction, right? But, and they'll also potentially just be validators. You know, if you say, I want to buy this property, they're not going to jump on and say, hang on a sec, like, is that really the best property for you? Because they don't see themselves as generally as trusted advisors um, to say, actually, I know more about property than potentially you. I need to stop you going down that off the plan apartment. I need to stop you going and buy that, you know, high density unit or whatever it might be. Right. It's just that it's just that evolution of the the broking industry. That's something that I'm trying to really encourage the industry to go, hang on a sec, we're, we're, we're informed. We can see out, we're not just giving loans, but they're actually, it's important what they do with the money. Um, and that's our financial planning background that gives us that extra. You know, we can't not say something, right? Um, And so that's the issue with going to brokers. If you go to a broker and you get all those other things done, that's right. But then you need to go and have someone else in your corner on a property side to make sure you're actually doing the right thing with the money, you know? Cause mm. um, when you say that the first property is the most important, the reason is, is that it's most likely you're gonna sell your first property in a shortish time frame. Not everyone buys their forever home as their first property. And usually with the first property- <laughs> you've got- not now, Chris. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you've got transaction costs, you got buy costs, sell costs, um, and you at the mercy of the market in any type of investment, when you get in and when you get out, whether you bought in 2021 or whether you sell it in 2028, and you know that's where it can really go wrong is that if it doesn't perform or you know it's not like you might lose 50 60 percent of you know all your money and go bankrupt but you just may get an asset that doesn't perform or might go slightly down when everything else has gone up and you've basically got no further financially when a better decision would have got you dramatically further because it was a leveraged investment and that's why it's so important
0: Mm. Uh, just for people that don't know this a reason i think that a lot of mortgage brokers don't stop you from making a mistake is because if they say, are you sure you want to buy that and you stop buying it? Well, you can blame the broker for that, right? And then if it takes you months, then you can have a bit of like resentment towards that. Well, you said not to do it and I'm still don't have a house or whatever. So. It's easier for them just to be like, here's your mortgage, see you later, I'll get my commission. Uh, At at least that's kind of like how I characterize it, Chris, whereas there's, and so like, there's like a incentive for them not to say anything because they can just get you in and get you out. Whereas a truly like a good, an expert will say, hold on a second, have you considered this, this or this? They're not gonna make the decision for you, but at least they'll maybe hold you up. And I I think that's the last step of the BLUSC process, if I'm not mistaken, is people actually have a call with you um, if they don't have a buyer's agent, if they haven't done all those things, they can have a call with you and be like, what are you trying to do? Now that you've got your financing approved, what are you trying to do? And let me kind of be a sounding board. Is that correct?
2: Absolutely. So what I really need to do is the business to sort of evolve. What I love doing is having all the information about someone's situation, whether the, the numbers all run through bank servicing calculators, et cetera, um, and, and the notes from what their you know situation, you know, the soft facts, I guess. Um, and then once I've got all that, the team have done a strategy. This is how much you can borrow, this is how your rates would be, this say how you can structure your loans. And then I can sort of talk through their decision and go, well, what's the right, right move? You know, Out of those scenarios that we're considering, what's the best next move for you? And absolutely, you're right, Owen. I mean, a lot of brokers are, you know, they don't wanna slow down the transaction by making it harder. Um, but we often really challenge clients to potentially sell one of their properties or potentially save, or if they're, they're in love with a property, Ve- almost weekly we're telling people not to buy properties i did it yesterday um i a client bought on monday and we really stopped them buying a, a poor asset a few months ago um, and so we we do refer to lots of buyers agents so we're not playing that role as a buyer's agent um, client bought yesterday down the shire with with a great buyer's agent down there so it's sort of just validating or, or really challenging what they're doing is there a better option is it the right flight path if it is okay cool you're on the right way. This is just some things to look out for. This is what a buyer's agent you may want to consider. See how you go first. Um, And then if clients are looking, then if they're looking at a property and we, that they're saying, well, I'm really in love with this property, I'll look at it potentially and just give some feedback on it and say, look, I, this is what I love about it. this, is what I don't like it, about it. But it's not like, hey, helping them try to find that property. It's just sort of highlighting usually the things that are wrong with that property from an other buyer point of view because everyone's in their mindset. I like it. I'd live there. Mm. But maybe the family market wouldn't like it. Maybe downsizers, maybe, um, you know, investors, etc. cetera. So you've got to have a big market. Um, not, you don't know that unless you've either talked to that market a lot or you're in that market yourself.
0: Mm. Yeah. Um, well, this is great Chris I'm sure we'll have you on back on the show throughout the year but uh, I, I know Kate and I itching to get some of these questions across to you yeah. so yes we've gone for 20 minutes without actually getting to some of the questions but I think it's worthwhile just to insert that now uh, Kate which ones which ones do you want to focus on first?
1: Yeah, well, we had a few questions on the features of good brokers, which I think we've covered a lot of that. So, I might jump to a different one. So, changing tax slightly, but talking about offset and redraw accounts. So, one of the questions that came through from a listener was, what are the differences between an offset account and a redraw account on a mortgage?
2: So... Offset accounts are probably the greatest invention, I would say, in financial planning. It's like financial instruments that you can use to grow your wealth, right? Um, the reason why they're so powerful is you can borrow money from a bank, let's say, um, and, you know, that, you know, so that's a $500,000 loan, right? Um, and what a bank will allow you to do, you know, of the loans we'll set up with offset accounts just because we we think they're so valuable Mm -hmm. is the bank will have a a, a savings account. And that's a key thing. It's a savings account that you can access at any point with unrestricted. um, And that, instead of getting interest, that offsets the interest that you would have paid on your mortgage. So in this situation, you had a loan of $500,000 and you had $50,000 in an offset account every day. And this is another point, offset interest Uh, interest on a mortgage is calculated daily, right? So every day they look at what do you owe? 500. What have you got in the offset? 50. So you'll pay interest of $450,000 for that day, but you don't pay it on a daily basis. You usually pay it on a monthly basis, right? But if that next day you put $1,000 in it, well, that next day you would pay less interest, right? So offset accounts, why they're so powerful is that they offset higher interest rates, which a mortgage is higher interest rate than what you would get on a savings account and the savings account, you've got to pay tax on it, right? So that gap is a lot higher. So it's a great way for you to park money, um, but you're not losing access to it. So if you pay off a loan, you may have to redraw it, you may not be able to redraw it, which we'll talk about, but in an offset account, you could pull it out that next day. So you completely liquid and you're getting a great rate of return technically because you're offsetting a, a higher rate on a mortgage that's tax-free, let's say if it's a home or it's an investment, it's a bit different. So they're really powerful for building liquidity, but also like just protecting you and buffers. Like the name of the game with anything investing is, you know, what's your plan B if things go wrong? You know, if something happened to your work or health or family um, or to the property, you know, like a roof or you know something major happened. Your, your offset account gives you the ability to sort of fund that without having to sell the property, without having to sell your share portfolio whatever it might be, or close your business down. The, the cash is cash flow is king is what they say. So that's why we love offset accounts. That, there used to be, you know, a long time ago there'd be additional fees and, you know, higher interest rates. That's just not the case, right? You can get an amazing um, loan with an offset account and at a ridiculously sharp rate, right? Mm. Now, most loans are that way. So um, now the issue with redraw is there, you know, look at uh, banks' loan contracts, right? And yes, it works exactly the same. So that situation, that person could have put that $50,000 and instead of having a $500,000 loan, could have a $450,000 loan. It's exactly the same from an interest point of view, but you just never can trust the banks. We saw this um, the last few years when, you know, ME Bank changed their rules around redraw, um, CBA did. Now, some of them actually rewound those decisions but it basically proved that the banks could change your loan around your decision their decisions around redraw so um, in that scenario they could say well no you're not getting access to your redraw so you can't, if that emergency came up then you might not be able to get access to the money what did um, they do what did they do Um, In a couple of scenarios recently, um, one bank basically limited the amount you could take out of redraw. So let's say you overpaid your loan and thought it was like an offset account. They then put a limit on it. Um, and another bank potentially uh, well, did change your loan term and your repayment to basically pay off your loan faster because you were so far ahead of your mortgage. Um, and it was all about the banks sort of reducing their loan exposure so they could, um, so their book looks better, right? Um, because it's, you know, that money they could lend to other customers, et cetera. And so I just don't trust Rejoice. That's the first reason. The second reason is, um, uh, and, and it doesn't really matter if it's in redraw or an offset account, I know is a really long answer, because if you can easily just go into your internet banking and take the money out, it's exactly the same. So some people say, I want to pay off my loan, so I'm paying off my loan. Well, if you got sticky fingers, you're going to reuse your uh, redraw or you're going to reuse your offset account. So there's not anything stopping you getting access. Um, and then the only final reason around redraw versus offset is that there is a tax reason. So. You know, with with tax deductibility, if it is an investment property one day in the future, you could potentially deduct a higher limit if you use an offset account than with you use redraw. You're actually paying down future deductible debt. So, sort of tax issue, um, and that's another reason why we we prefer offset is that it, it it gives you a likelihood of higher tax deductible debt in the future.
0: Mm. So, um, talk to me, Goose, was someone that wrote in and just. They just said there just like one point of clarity, Chris, which is i just like to clarify, does an offset actually reduce the interest balance for the life of the loan, or is it just a me- mechanism that provides relief f- flexibility by reducing interest payments each month?
2: So I think you answered that. Look, so what will reduce your interest over the life of the loan is paying the loan off. So an offset technically is paying the loan off if you leave that money there, right? But if you then use it take that $50,000 and go and buy a boat, well, ultimately, you're going to go back paying interest, et cetera. But the dream scenario is is you know as that loan reduces, maybe you're paying principal and interest right, that loan was five hundred thousand, now it's four hundred thousand. the offset account's increasing, and so that offset's gone from fifty to a hundred. and so now your loan's only three hundred. and dream scenario is your loan is actually equal to your offset accounts. we've got many clients in that situation. Um, and so they're not paying any interest over the life of that loan because it's all fully offset. And so hopefully that, answers that technicality it does reduce your interest at life on if you leave it there
0: yeah no, that makes sense um so a lot of questions kate that we've had have also just been about people wanting to learn about the property market um there's always so much noise like markets crashing houses too expensive rental crisis like a lot of inflammatory language so people just genuinely wanting to learn so we've had some questions for that kate
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, One of the questions, Chris, was if someone's in their their 20s or 30s right now, how would you suggest learning more about the property market? Because I know there's a lot of, Mm -hmm. as Owen said, media headlines and you see the people spruiking property seminars and all sorts of things that maybe aren't in our best interests.
2: Look, it's a really big question, right? How do you learn about an asset class, right? And, um, you know, I would be a little bit, maybe I sound biased, right? I think Pete Warden's blog, was one of the biggest learnings I've yeah. had, right? The reason why it's so powerful is that it covers lots of different topics that all interlink to the property market. And the, the property market is a big beast. It's, you've got demographics you really want to learn about, um, you know, things like population growth and how cities grow, right? So, you know, do we grow, if we go through building farms, turning farms to houses, we grow through high density apartments. And so what you really want to do is, if, if I would say there's a, In a short-winded answer, you really want to understand demand and supply. Now it's very basic economics. If you take everything back to that, how does this demand increase for this type of property over time, whether that's population growth or more people having kids and families and households? um, And how would the supply of this property either increase or decrease? Some properties actually decrease in supply. And so that would be my first tip is probably sort of trying to understand the big system and then just putting that to test by actually getting on out on the ground right start to go to different properties in your local neighborhood and see which ones will just really go amazingly hot right you get there and you can't you got a line up out the front and everyone's like Trying to measure the rooms and put on their furniture, and you go to the auction, and everyone just goes crazy for. It. There's a reason for that, you know. It's on the best street, you know. It's got the best aspect and the sun. It's got no issues with privacy. It's, you know, in a great location in the suburb. It's like walking to the shops, but it's also, you know, a really quiet little pocket. It's close to the school, so you just start to look at a local level. But you also need to know the macro system. It's a, it's a bit of an art, bit science, um, and. I think the only way to really learn is actually a bit of both, right? You can you can be an armchair economist, right, and reading the news, which is interesting in some points, but then you've also got to be putting, you know, legs on the ground, boots on the ground and, and, and you know, looking at actual properties because you'll start to see which ones people really love and what people don't love.
0: I actually might, uh, so just a few things. For those of you that don't know, over on our Australian Property Podcast, Chris hosts the weekly show with Pete um, so that's the uh, that's the bias coming into effect right. there but yeah, yeah. but it's uh, it's uh, it's it's a great like Pete's blog is incredible I think that's where I learned a lot about um, uh, the property and it's also how I first learned about Pete actually I found him just online because I was googling and trying to find property people and he has this little counter on his blog that shows the number of hits the blog's had and it's like in the millions. So you know it's like, so you know like a lot of people go to it. But I'd also say just as uh, my two cents is, um, we've obviously just started the property podcast. So if you're learning about finance and whatever, obviously stay here on the finance podcast. But if you wanna learn more about specifics of properties, whether you're buying, selling, investing, whatever you're doing, Go and listen to the Australian Property Podcast. Uh, there'll be a link in your podcast player. And finally, we do have a free course as well that Chris and Amy put together. So um, it's just for, it's more designed for first home buyers and it's like 101 of property. So uh, if you are completely new to it, go and take that free course um, because you get some tidbits from Chris and Amy uh, from both the mortgage and big picture perspective and then also property by property perspective. Uh, Amy's also got another free course, which is great too. So um, mm. plenty of great information available and most of it free to be honest. So it's good, a yeah. good place to start, but I love the idea of just getting on the boots on the ground, Chris, I think that's, mm. that's the fun bit.
1: All right, Chris, I think it's uh, time for another, another question, and I've got one on rent vesting from Homer Washington. And what are your thoughts on rent vesting, especially for people living in expensive areas like Sydney? And I've had a look at the prices recently, Chris, and it's pretty crazy up there.
2: Yeah. So, I mean, rent vesting, it sounds so great, right? Like um, I get to rent where I want to live and I get to invest my money elsewhere. And, you know, that's just what I'm going to do, right? But there are challenges with it. And, you know, there are times when it really made a lot more sense than it did today. If I go back to when I started in broking 2013, 14, right? The way that you could uh, borrow money from a bank is completely different to 2023. The rules were much more relaxed and they're actually heavily um, in favour of investors. And you know, this is one of the reasons why um, we've got a rental crisis at the moment, which also feeds into this question. But ultimately you could borrow a lot more multiple of your income, right? If you think about it, if you times your income by a certain amount, um, back in 2013, 2014 to buy investment properties, than you could to buy homes. And so if you could uh, what that means is you could leverage your money and leverage your income much further into investment property. So You get a lot more market exposure, like 10 to 12 times your income back in those days, and maybe six to seven times your income if you wanted to buy a home. And so what you could argue back then, in interest rates were higher, in getting interest only was really easy. Um, you could argue that um, from, from a financial point of view, um, you could have bought a lot more investment properties. Um, down rent vesting and rented where you want it and rents were a lot cheaper um and properties were a lot cheaper actually as well the market hadn't moved as much so ultimately that was a great time for rent vesting and when you look at the numbers that actually made a lot more sense potentially than actually just buying a home because home debt was really expensive in interest rates now if you fast forward nine years right now no matter what if you're buying a home or investment you can probably borrow about five times your income it's crazy. So, you know, and this is pretty much exactly the same really within a home or in investment because you've got to pay rent versus the rent you get on an investment property kind of offset each other, if not potentially worse. Um, and so there's not a benefit to go down the investment route versus a home from a borrowing capacity point of view. But there's also a negative buying an investment property because negative, uh, with investment properties, you end up paying capital gains tax when you sell that property, uh, whereas a home you don't pay capital gains tax. And that's a huge win, right? So if you buy a home versus an investment property over 10 years, that tax impact can also um, mean that owning a home is actually better. So I can see the temptation and the desire to go down rent vesting, But the first thing is that potentially the tax and the borrowing capacity doesn't align that way anymore. And finally, the rental market's not that easy, right? Like. Um, you know, when you own your own home, you have to worry about getting kicked out every 12 months. You can add value to it, et cetera. It's much more difficult when you've got an investment property. Yeah, you can still add value, but it's, you know, might have not tenants or lots of things. Um, so I think that's it, the first thing. The second thing is rent vesting is great sometimes when you're single or you're a couple, right, because it's easy to rent something, right? You can be really flexible. You could, um, you know, there's high-density apartments. You know, you can usually just say, I don't want to live in that area. I'll go, I'll find something. But when rent vesting, we think becomes a real problem. Um, And people who've got out of the property market um, have have experienced this. As soon as the family stage comes along, renting becomes really stressful, right? A, moving kids around multiple times can be stressful for the kids. But as a parent, you just want stability and security, especially going into things like school and public school zones and things like that. Um, And so, being a nomad, like myself in my 20s, all of a sudden you get to this family stage mm. and you sort of really just want security, stability, you want to know what the future holds. And I think that's when the rent vesting strategy really um, becomes a challenge. And so what happens is people make money on their investments and then all of a sudden they have to sell those investments because they really want a home. And ultimately they potentially could have purchased that home a lot sooner if they didn't go and buy these investment properties. They end up having to sell and pay capital gains tax um, if they 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 thought about that first before they went down this rent investing view. So my attitude would be, actually, what's going to likely happen for my life? You know, it's hard with singles, but when you're in a couple, you can be a little bit more, you know, uh, know what's going to happen, whether if the relationship lasts, right? And go, like, if what sort of life are we going to live? Are we going to want kids? Where are we going to live? Can we kind of achieve that goal first and also get a great investment versus, hey, let's just buy an investment property and deal with that when we want to have kids? Because I think you'll realize that Whatever you do make on the investment, most likely could be offset by what you actually have to pay and it's super stressful selling and buying. And so I think that's the overarching thing of rent-vesting. It's not as simple as just, hey, I'll just live here and rent wherever I want. There's some things down the line that you may not have thought of that will come back to bite you potentially.
0: One of the things just, sorry, Kate, if I just circle back to one of the things really quickly that you mentioned was that like that multiple of income. One of the things that I learned through you and Amy during the course, when we're putting the course together, was that a lot of people underestimate, particularly in their 20s or 30s, that their income might increase quite drastically in the next few years. And so, if you just take a really rough rule, let's say you're earning 80,000 today and you can borrow five times that, so 400,000. But that might not be the, the house that you'll ideally want for your first home or whatever. But maybe in a year or two, you're earning $120,000 because you've got a promotion and you're out of graduate roles and all that sort of stuff. Well, maybe all of a sudden that five times is a lot more valuable and you can maybe get into that next bracket, so to speak, and you can the strategy can form from there. Um, and that's something that I probably didn't really think about because it requires patience and, it, you know, like you said before, that like people just go in and get it done. Um, I think that was something that I took away. But, Kate, I think I, I cut you off there.
1: Yeah, I was just going to say, Chris. If so, you talked about rent vesting, but if someone came to you and all they could afford, maybe in Central Sydney, was a, a shoebox apartment in a hundred-story building, and it wasn't a great quality property, but they couldn't actually afford anything else, and maybe they're not ready to move to the suburbs and have an hour-long commute. What would what would you say to them?
2: Look, it's a, it's a big question, right? There's a there's a desire to own, right? Um, there's a uh, myth, as a pressure that society puts on you. You know, you're not successful unless you've got a property. You know, a lot of people just want to tick that box, right? Mm. But what I would do is really challenge them is, is it really worth ticking that box? You know, mm. Is it worth potentially just saving or doing other types of investment? There's a lot of people who have bought into the those type of apartments that haven't gone up in the last eight years. You know, they bought in 2013, 2014, 2015. Um, the apartments worth the same. When the Sydney market boomed in 2020, 2021, they didn't boom. And so I, I definitely do, and um, and I think that it is hard when you're single because like Owen did the numbers there, right, 80 times 5 is 400. However, when people get to the partner stage and often, you know, when you're in a new relationship, it's hard, right? Like, are we still going to be together in 6, 12 months? Do I really want to make a big, you know, life financial decision? Uh, and I, I do see clients come to us at that point in time. One's got a property and one wants to, you know, also have a property, right? Or they've been thinking about it before they met the partner. If you're in that early stage, it's trying to, combine resources, you know, and I'm not saying you should all do it, but it's something to consider and make sure, well, can we buy something that's really going to work if we grow as a couple and we stay together, right? Um, Because that's when the borrowing capacity does usually increase, and then you can start to get into a really good asset. That happened to us, um, you know, just only a few months ago. Um, It was a a couple, she came to us, she'd actually got some inheritance, and, you know, she was in a new relationship um, with her partner, and so she asked her partner, you know, she, and then she was also a girl as well. She was like, well, "What should we um, buy it together. And um, yeah, and then she basically had her own property. And then and all of a sudden they had really big life chat and a relationship chat um, and they ended up buying a little townhouse in the lower North Shore of Sydney, like a great, great property, way better than what you know the, she could have bought on her own. But I think it was an amazing for their relationship. If you if, mm. if go back and some of the feedback we got after, they were both engage with the process and they both got something that they're super happy with. It's both, they're both properties, like it's something they've got together rather than themselves. So, that's just a little story why, you know, sometimes getting the partner involved. um, Yeah. And so, it is hard. If you're buying a poor asset, I'd really argue, is it worth the risk? Should you just rent it and keep saving and investing? And that could actually get you a better return than just owning a property. And I think people need to be aware that that could be a better option.
0: Chris, um, you mentioned like Sydney there, um obviously i'm in melbourne just to confirm for people you do kind of like state lines you do service customers like everywhere
2: yeah so one of the benefits of being a broker right rather than a buyer's agent i don't think buyers agents can do this some try um is we can work with clients all over Australia, right? Loans are, are universal across the country, right? Bank policy doesn't change. Small things do. Um, I lived in Melbourne for three and a half years or something, a couple of stints. Um, my dad lives down there, so I've been going there the whole life as a kid. So I know the market really well, and we've got lots of clients buying over the last you know, 10 years sort of there, um, 11 years. I actually was working in Melbourne when I first became a broker back in 13, 14. Um, and then my business partner, Ben and, and John, um, they're both in Brisbane and so they know the Brisbane market and I know that market really well because a lot of people from the, the east coast do migrate north. Um, yeah. And uh, so, yeah, across those eastern seaboard we're really good. In Adelaide and sort of Perth, we don't, um, we can definitely help from a finance point of view but we, our property knowledge isn't as high um, and we do lean on buyers, local buyers agents a bit more than we do in those other states.
0: Mm. No, that's great. Um, well, I think that, uh, that takes us through the questions. Uh, for today. So uh, if you do have questions, please write into us. You can write into the Australian Finance Podcast or the Australian Property Podcast, or really any podcast that we run. It's all the same type form. Just click the Ask a Question link in your podcast player. In your podcast player, you also find a link to get in contact with Chris and the team. Uh, The same way you submit a question, basically, uh, there's there's also a type form um, to send the information that you might have across to Chris and he and the team uh, will get in contact with you. Um, obviously, the the buying process can take a little while. So th- having things like documents ready to go, uh, these types of things, Chris and the team will help you through that. But um, it, you can also just get in the contact with the team at, at Blusk. So. Um, and finally, a reminder to go and check out the Australian Property Podcast with Chris, uh, the guy's do love your questions. Uh, Amy and I love your questions as well across there on different facets of property and wealth creation. So, Chris, thanks for joining us. It's always a pleasure, mate.
2: Thanks so much. Thanks, Kate. Thanks, Owen.
0: And uh, Kate, as always, it's a pleasure. So, thanks for joining me.
1: Thanks for listening, everyone.